Well, let me just once again welcome our guests. If you are new and visiting uh, fellowship, we are so glad that you're here, and I hope that you have already been just warmly welcomed and received. And yes, there are many things happening uh, in our church, and you just happen to come on a Sunday where we're announcing again that uh, we're continuing to take steps forward uh, as a church. As, we, as God continues uh, to bless, we want to continue to step out in faith. And uh, so we're thankful for the opportunities that he's giving us and this Paving the Way campaign is uh, the next step for us that we feel uh, as a church. And so I'm looking forward for all of you to be a part uh, of this and see what God does. We are moving into the time of preaching and teaching the word of God. We've done many things already as part of our service and they're important things. We sing and we testify and all of this is part of what we do when we gather, but we also take time, uh, a good portion of our service to hear the word of God preached and for us to receive it and to respond to it. And so we're going to do that uh, now. And as I, as I get started today, uh, I'm going to go back to a study that we started actually back in the beginning of 2020 through the book of Acts. Uh, we started that and I told you we'll keep coming back uh, as we're working our way uh, through this. But I was thinking when we first started this uh, series, I remember I was preaching to an empty room. Uh, because uh, we were shut down uh, at that time. And I remember thinking, boy, I wonder if we should just change series and, you know, preach something that's a little bit more relevant. And then we started preaching and teaching it, and it became very clear that the text was very relevant to what it is that we were going through. And so we continued that in January uh, of uh, 2021, January through May of 2021, and then January through May of 2022, and here we are still going through it and we're just picking up in chapter 14. Uh, so that tells you we take our time through the text because uh, we're, we're, we're expositionally going through it. And, and so today we're going to look at a divided response as we get back into the text. And as, as, as I was thinking about this, uh, this, uh, this, this passage and this text, it, it was making me think about uh, just when you have the opportunity to talk to someone about something or a group of people, isn't it, isn't it interesting how you can say the exact same thing to several people at once and, get, and, and some get it and some don't? Like you, you say what you say and then you can tell someone on their head and others are like, what language are you talking in? I don't know what you're saying. And, and, and it happens all the time to parents, right? Especially like you're talking to your kids, you have them all together and some kids are like, they get it. And others are like, no idea. Did you, did you really say that? Uh, when you remind them that, yes, we had this conversation and I don't have any memory of it at all. What, you know, why does this happen? Or maybe you're in the workplace and it's the same thing there. You know, you're, you're together with your team and something's told to the team and you go away and all of a sudden, you know, two or three people act like it was never, they never heard it. And you're like, wait a minute, what's, what's happening? There are many factors involved when it comes to, to listening. One of them is just listening just listening, just starting there, right? Are they listening? The, the other, there, but there's other factors as well. Like what is their perspective in, in what they're hearing? What is their attitude in, in receiving what it is that you're saying? And what is their readiness to hear? Parents love when they say, say certain things to their children over the years and then they get to about 17 or 18 and your kids will come to you and say, you know, I just realized something. And they say this and you're like, 
Okay, been telling you that for seven years. Um, but uh, it's good to know that now you just realize it and you feel like it's kind of an epiphany that occurred to you out of the universe somewhere. But it happens. That kind of thing happens. And the same thing happens with our gospel witness, right? We share the gospel. Like we have this testimony. We have this passage. We share it with somebody and they respond. And we're like, man, that was great. We do the same thing with someone else. And they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And you're wondering, okay, how does that work? Why do, why do some people get it and some don't? Well, the same thing happened to Paul and Barnabas here in this text. We're going we're gonna to look at this text. We're going to see what happened. We're going to see why it happened. We're going to see how they responded. And then we're going to also see what it is that we can learn from it as witnesses of the gospel living in 2023. So let's pray and ask God to lead us. Lord God, we submit ourselves to the word of God, to the authority of scripture in our lives. We recognize that it has the authority, the word, the truth, that the Lord Jesus has the authority and we are to submit to that in all things, in every part of our life. Help us to do that now as we, as we prepare to receive of, of the word. May the spirit of God illuminate and give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, New Testament, Acts chapter 14. And that's where we're, where we're going to start. And also I'll be putting the, the text on the screen when we get there so you can, you can see. But let me just catch us up with what happened in the previous chapter, which we looked at again last year. In chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are, are in, the, they're in the midst of their first missionary journey and they were in Pisidian Antioch and they were there preaching the gospel and then they were run out of the city. I mean, literally run out of the city. Just imagine that. I'm sure you've had many gospel witnessing uh, experiences. I doubt you've ever been run out of a city. Uh, that's what they experienced. And, and in that text, if you look back, they shook uh, the dust off of their feet uh, when they left. Like, okay, enough with you guys and how you treated us. And then they went to Iconium, which is what we're going to look at now. And as they're traveling to Iconium, they're thinking, this will go much better. We prayed about it. God is leading us. It has to go better than it went in Pisidian Antioch. So they go to Iconium. I want to have you take a look at it here on the map just so you can kind of get a sense of what's happening. Because again, what we're talking about happened in real time and space on this planet. Uh, Iconium is in modern day Turkey. It is now the city of Kanya. So this is not made up. Again, this is a, a real place and it's, it is a real place even today just with a different name. And so Paul and Barnabas, they, they travel about 90 miles, 90 miles on foot southeast along the Via Sebaste, which is the paved road that Augustus built. And they travel through the countryside. There, there's much travel like that, but then they also have to go past the, the snow-capped peaks of the Sultan Mountain Range. So they, they get to see that. And at this time, Iconium, the city, is, is a real center of agriculture and commerce. 
And so this, this is the, the city at the time that they, they go to and they make this 90 mile, pretty difficult journey to Iconium. So now we have Luke is our writer of the book of Acts and he now is telling us what happened. Look at verse one. They start with gospel witness in the synagogue, which is exactly what they did in uh, Pisidian Antioch as well. Now at Iconium, they entered together. This is Paul and Barnabas into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So why the synagogue first? Why did they go there first? Because they've done this before. Paul is known as the, as the apostle to the Gentiles. And, and he seems to start in the Jewish synagogue uh, many times. And so, you know, why is he doing that? Well, one reason would be that if he went to the Gentiles first, he wouldn't then be able to enter into the synagogue because he'd be unclean. And, and so he's, he, he's doing, going there first. He's very versed in synagogue life and he knows what to expect there. He knows what it's like. And so he goes into the synagogue and what happened in the synagogue? Well, the text tells us that a great number of of Jews and Greeks believed. So a great number that were there believed. And, and this, the Greeks and the Jews, the, the reason that there's differentiation there is because it's referring to Greeks who had converted to Judaism and they were now in the synagogue worshiping God, worshiping God and they were known as God-fearers because they were Gentiles who had turned to the Jewish God. And they apparently believed what Paul was saying and preaching. Now, you look at the text and it says they spoke in such a way. You see that, that phrase in verse 1. What does it mean that, that Paul and Barnabas spoke in such a way? Well, it means that they spoke the right message. They had the right content and they did so in the right way. They had the right approach. Which means they, they spoke with conviction. They had, they had conviction. And it also means that this message that they spoke here in Iconium was probably very, very similar to the message that they spoke in Pisidian Antioch, which Luke actually listed out for us in chapter 13, verses 16 through 41. So if you flip back there real quick in your Bibles, you'll see that that message is actually listed there. And we already taught through that. And, 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 and so what Paul did is he started with the patriarchs and he went into the Exodus and he talked about the time of the judges and he talked about the kings and he talked about the prophets and then he went to Jesus and his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection and then he called the people to repentance and belief. So we would think it's very similar, right? What he did there, he's probably doing here in Iconium. And after preaching this message, trouble ensues. Verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So already we're at verse 2 in Iconium and there's trouble again. The Jews who did not believe the message about Jesus, they didn't believe what Paul and Barnabas were talking about. They were rejecting the good news. They stirred up trouble for Paul and for Barnabas. 
How so? What kind of trouble? How, how did the unbelieving Jews stir up trouble? Well, what they did is they, they, they used lies and they used deceit. And they used those lies and deceit to sway public opinion against Paul and Barnabas. Can you imagine that? We know nothing of that here, right? In our world, right? I mean, they used lies and deceit to sway public opinion against Paul and Barnabas. The, the, the way Luke writes it is he says they poisoned their minds against them. That's strong language against the brothers, he says, against the brothers. Who are the brothers? Well, he's referring to Paul and to Barnabas, but not just Paul and Barnabas, to the new people who believed, to the new believers. They're, they're now brothers. They're, they're, they're in the faith. And, and they're also now part of this, uh, this trouble uh, that's, getting, that's getting raised up. The poisoning of the mind. And, and one of the ways that you can think about that is that the poisoning of the mind would be a, a, like a reference to people fabricating lies and uh, the poison then is the deception of the people uh, because they're believing the lies. And again, uh, the, the, what, 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 what Paul and what Barnabas faced here is is what true Christ followers are facing today in our world that we live in right now. Fabricated lies against believers, poisoning the mind of the masses against maybe the intentions of, of what believers really stand for or, or misrepresenting what we stand for, or misrepresenting scripture or misrepresenting our testimony. And again, this is nothing new. So one of the reasons we gather and we come together and worship and we read the scripture and we hear it taught and preached is because it reminds us of these things. Hey, what's happening to us happened to them. What happened to them is happening to us. It's a definitive mark, this fabricating, this poison. It really is a definitive mark of our society and our culture today. And it's why we, and I say we as the church of Jesus Christ, why we need truth and discernment in the church. You need that. If you're a believer, you need truth. You need to be reminded of it. You need to be reading it. You need to be thinking about it. And you need discernment. So how did Paul and Barnabas respond to this opposition? Let's look. This is the response to gospel opposition, verse 3. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. There are four responses that we can break down in this verse. So let's do that. Let's break it down so we can get an understanding of these four responses. First one is they remained in Iconium for a long time. Now, this tells us something. First of all, it tells us that Luke wants us to know this. Let's remember when we're reading the scripture, even reading narrative, we're reading what has been preserved for us by God himself. Amen? God has preserved this intentionally. Means it means it has meaning. We don't just act like it doesn't. So 
They remained in Iconium for a long time. That means they didn't pack up and leave at the first sign of trouble. It's likely that they were there several months, is what we expect. Not like a couple days, several months. I think sometimes, or, or too many times, as Christians, we decide on our own, you know what, God must not be at work here. So it's time to move on. They didn't do that. They didn't just decide God wasn't at work. They stayed. And the text, again, makes it a point to tell us that. We, we sing a song, don't we? And it says, he's always working. You guys know that song? We sing it here, right? What is it? Was it Waymaker? Yeah. He's always working, right? Pay attention to some of the things you're singing. <laughs> he's always working. And, but if we don't really believe that, what will happen is something will happen and we'll say, oh, boy, that's not good. God must not be working. Time to move on. Sometimes we get too focused on signs and visions and we convince ourselves that God is saying something that God is not saying. What if Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue and said, that was a sign from God. It's time to go. It wasn't time to go. The trouble in the synagogue, the poisoning of the minds of the people, they were not signs from God to leave. Too many times we determine that God is only at work when we see him at work. But he is always working. If we don't see it, we have to have faith and trust that he is at work and respond to what he's calling us to do in faithful obedience. That's what we're called to. Faithful obedience. So, second response is they spoke boldly for the Lord. Notice that they, that they spoke boldly, but not just boldly. He could have just ended it there, but he didn't. He said, for the Lord. That tells me that they didn't speak boldly for themselves. They didn't boldly defend themselves. They boldly spoke for the Lord. They didn't speak for their honor. They didn't speak for their defense. They spoke for the Lord. They didn't speak for their own reputation. They spoke for the Lord. And to, bold, to boldly speak for the Lord is to do just that. You speak for the Lord. Not ourselves. Not our feelings. Not our emotions. Not, not what we want to see done. To speak boldly for the Lord is to speak the truth about Jesus, who he is, what he's done to represent him correctly as revealed in the scripture. And that's what, that's what they did. And also the text tells us that they bore witness to the word of God's grace. And you notice how, that, how, how Luke writes that, bearing witness to the word of God's grace, to the message of grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. The unmerited favor of God towards you. The grace of God. Unmerited means we did not deserve it. It also means we did not earn it. So this might be new for, for some that are here to hear this, that we have not done a single thing to earn an ounce of God's grace. God's grace cannot ever be earned 
or it ceases to be grace. It's grace on the, on the very merit that it is unmerited. So I don't, I'm not earning grace by being a pastor and being in ministry. Missionaries aren't earning grace by going overseas and the worst country that they go to, the more grace they earn. No, it's not how it works. God shows us love. We just sang about it. Mercy, forgiveness, not because we deserve it, but because of his grace. The message of grace rejects works-based salvation. You don't work your way to be saved. Grace means that you also reject self-righteousness. Look at how, look at all the righteous things that I'm doing in my life. I mean, I do this, I do this, I do this. They don't do that. I noticed. And they don't do it and they don't do it. I think I may be one of the only ones who does this. They don't. And we start to develop self-righteousness. I was thinking about this. Um, many of us belong to rewards programs, right? Don't you love those reward programs? Um, you, you, you know, you sign up, you get the app, you get the little code, um, you buy something, you get points for it, you keep earning points, right? Dunkin' Donuts has it. Um, so many other places have it, you know, and the more points you get, the more things you earn. And we like that, right? And if we go to the counter with our points earned and they don't give it to us, boy, are we not happy. I earned that free coffee, right? Or I earned that. I remember when we were renting a car in Florida, um, which I just love to say in February, um, I used my Hertz member card. And I remember I went up to the, to the counter and the lady said, are you a gold member? And I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> and all the people around me were like, wow. And I'm like, no, that didn't happen. They didn't, none of them did that. But I felt good, honestly, I did. And that's not probably a good sign. And then she said, you can go to the front of the line and I could go right in to get the, get, get the car. There was another line of people. They were all the ones who used Expedia. And I was able to go right in and, and get, get the car. And that was my reward. I earned it. Right now, the flight ones are the worst. They're the ones that it's like, you know, if you're, if you've, you know, if you are the platinum member, you can come on, come on the plane now. And, and then there's the, you know, the right below platinum. And then there's the, the one below that and the one below that. I'm always the last one, whatever that one is, which is all the rest of you. Uh, you can get on now if there's any seats left, but there's no rewards program with grace. See, we're used to that in the world, but there's none of that with grace. And what that means is none of us are going to the front of the line because of anything we did. And it's just good to come to terms with that. Stop trying so hard to earn something with God. What he's given you is his son Jesus as, as, as gracious love and just receive him. That's the gospel. It's a gift. It's grace. Christ did all the work. We just received the blessing. And that's the message we need to be sharing. The message of grace. And you may be saying, you may be out there, you may be saying, Pastor, you don't know me. 
but I need a lot of grace. And I would say to you, so do we all. All of us, we need it. And then fourth, we see they were enabled to, to perform signs and wonders. These witnesses, they received a, a special dispensation of the Spirit's power to perform miracles of healing and other manifestations of the Spirit of God. And, and we don't see this manifestation in every city and town they went in, but we do see it in some. And, and, and so you got to think, okay, what is the purpose of that? Well, gospel witness is the purpose. God's glory is the purpose, what we talked about last week. Not their own. They don't, they're not not doing signs and wonders so that people could say how great Paul is or how great Barnabas is. It's so they could say how great God is. And so also they could see that these men are sent by God and empowered by God, even as they faced opposition. God was showing even Paul and Barnabas through these gifts, I'm with you. I'm still with you. So these are the responses that we see in verse 3. And then uh, Luke moves on and tells us, verse 4, uh, it's a divided response. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. What I talked about earlier. Some heard it and some didn't. So I was thinking about this. Um, even after that almost perfect gospel presentation. How many of you have shared the gospel? You shared the gospel with somebody another person, maybe a group of people, whatever it might be. And you're thinking they didn't, probably didn't respond the way I wanted them to, because I, I really messed this part up. You know, I told them John three, but I turned to John six. I couldn't even find John three. They probably didn't even think I knew my Bible, whatever it might be. And you start blaming yourself. This is an example here where it seems they did it right. Like, I mean, here we, we just, the list I just went through, right? They spoke boldly for the Lord. They bore witness to the grace of God. They demonstrated the Spirit's power with signs and wonders. I mean, that's, that's a great gospel presentation, yet some believed, some didn't. What went wrong? There was a divided response. Some believed the Jews that were poisoning the minds, some believed the lies rather than the truth. Some did believe Paul and Barnabas, but some didn't. What does it tell us? It tells us that the, that the gospel is polarizing. We just have to, we have to come to terms with this. The message of Jesus Christ, the good news about Jesus, God's perfect holiness, Christ's perfect Sinless life, his sacrificial death, his overcoming uh, resurrection, our, uh, our own sinful uh, condition, uh, the fact that we need a savior and even God's command for all people to repent and believe. That entire message is polarizing. And what that means is, some will like it and respond or will receive it and respond. Others will hate it. They won't like it at all. And they won't like the messenger either. This text reminds us that we shouldn't be so surprised by that. Some will believe. Most will not. This gospel message calls everyone Think about it. What does the gospel call you to? It calls you to stop living for yourself. Amen? 
right? Is that what the gospel calls us to? Jesus said in Luke 14, right? You are to deny yourself. Anyone who's going to come after me, anyone who's going to follow me must deny self. Pick up the cross, follow me. This is what it means to follow Jesus, deny self. Live for Jesus. There are many people who have no desire to live for anyone but themselves. So when you tell them about Jesus and living for him, that may not be a message they want to hear. And they resent even those who tell them. Whether people believe the gospel or not, there are two things that must never change. First is our message, which is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The second is our mission, which is to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. Now, we need to understand what that means and what it doesn't mean. We are called to proclaim the gospel whether people believe or not. And this is, this is why we got to be careful about all the testimonies that always result in salvation and not ever testify to the fact that the gospel was proclaimed in Jesus' name, just like he commanded us to. Because that's faithfulness. That's what we're supposed to do. We cannot change the message and we cannot change the mission. One indication that our gospel witness remains true and faithful might be the reality that some will believe and some will despise the message and the messenger. So if that's happening to you, it might be an indication that you're doing it right because that's just how it works. They won't like it if you're telling, but if your gospel presentation or the way you share the gospel is basically another way of that person hearing living for themselves, then they may not resist it so much, but it may not also be the true representation of the gospel. See, if everyone loves the gospel truth we're sharing, it may be an indication that something is missing, like what it means to give your life to Christ and to put him on the throne. He doesn't go anywhere else, right? He sits on the throne. And as a pastor, one of the things that as a pastor, uh, I find myself having to do over, over years is call people back to faithfulness, calling people back to belief in the gospel that they once claimed, made a profession of faith, Something happened in life, maybe 10, 12 years, maybe longer, and all of a sudden, I don't believe that anymore. And we call them back to, to, to repentance and to faith in Jesus and what it means to live for him and to deny self. And many times people don't want that message. They resist it, some despise it, and we see that here so Luke continues in verse five and says, uh, we see that they flee Iconium. So now the time comes for them to leave. And it does seem that now after several months that it is God's timing. When an attempt was made, verse five, 
by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So Paul and Barnabas, they hear a plot. They hear of this plot to stone them. The rulers of the city are involved. That means the local authorities have been swayed by the poisoning of the mind. And in God's providence, they hear of this plot. In other words, it's, it's providential that God allows them to hear and they flee the city. Paul and Barnabas understand that their calling is not, it's not to victimhood. It's, it's not to victim status. It's to gospel witness. There's a difference. They, they're, they're, they're there to proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ. And, and so when they hear of this, and I'm sure after praying and asking God for guidance and direction, they flee and they flee with the intent of continuing to preach the gospel. They leave Iconium, they go 18 miles, which is what it was, to Lystra, another 90 miles to Derby. Both cities in Lyconia, and what do they do? What does Luke tell us they do when they get in those cities? Well, they invested in a coastal property or something like that, right? And decided to settle down. This was too much. No, they didn't do that. They went and they preached the gospel. Different city, message, mission, same. If we're going to be there, this is what we're going to do. It's one of the things that I love about local church ministry as a pastor is you just keep preaching the gospel. You keep preaching the truth Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, same message, same mission. Someone comes up three years later and you keep talking about that Jesus guy. Is there, is there anybody else? It's all about him. And that's what we're going to keep doing. That's the mission. That's the message. So when you, when you step back from this, I want to ask you a question. So did the witness of Paul and Barnabas make a difference in Iconium? Did it even make a difference? You know, you can step back and wonder that. After all that happened, after all that they went through, did it even really make a difference? I wanted to answer that question in a little bit of a different way. Iconium, as I mentioned earlier, is now in, in Kanya, uh, is now Kanya, the city of Kanya in Turkey, uh, which is a, a Muslim country and a country that we should be keeping in prayer with what's happened there uh, with, uh, with the earthquake. It's, it's a Muslim country. But when you think about this, what I want you to see is how God works over time. Christianity can trace its roots in Iconium all the way back to Paul's visit there with, with Barnabas. In other words, what is the Christ, what's happening in, in that area today is a result of what we just read in the book of Acts. I want you to think about that. That's real. Turkey has a population of over 84 million people. Only a tiny fraction of that number are Christians. About 170,000. That's 0.2%. That's real low. Not high. Nationalism and Islam are, are inextricably linked 
in, in Turkey. And what that means is if, if, you are, if you're Turkish and you want to remain Turkish, you need to remain Muslim. If you move to something else, like Christian, you will lose your Turkish identity. That's, that's something for them to consider, and they do, as, as the gospel is presented there. Also, religious affiliation uh, in, in Turkey is recorded on ID cards, and, which are now electronic, making it very easy for the Turkish officials to identify and then discriminate against Christians unless you pretend that you're not a Christian, which they've learned not to do that because of texts like this. So they tell it that they are Christians and then they receive what happens to them. I want you to meet a guy by the name of Hans Jürgen Leuven. He is a man in his early 60s who lived in the Mullah region of Turkey. He had lived there for over 20 years. And in 2019, he, 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 was, he was renewing his visa like he did all, all the time. And it was denied by the Turkish government. And to his surprise, he received a letter and he was ordered out of the country. He was getting deported. And he'd have to leave his daughter behind because his daughter was finishing her senior year at the university in, uh, in the Mullah region. And the letter that he received, it really didn't give a reason. It had, it had all these reasons listed, but none of the boxes were checked. The only thing that it said was other. You gotta love that, right? The reason of other. To be removed. He had a home. He had a farm. He had a business. He was there for over 20 years. His life was there. And after receiving this news, he, he, he recorded a video and, uh, and, and asked for help. And he put it on YouTube. And um, in, uh, in the video, he, he said that he, no, no reason was given, but he said he believes he knows the reason that he was deported. And he said, I'm a Christian. And the quote that got me, that really struck me, was when he said that I've lived as a witness for my Lord. And they've shared the gospel with the locals. And I just, that struck me because I was thinking about this text that we're in and thinking, okay, in AD 48, Paul and Barnabas, they're thrown out of Pisidian Antioch and they're thrown out of Iconium, which is modern day Turkey. And only a few years ago, 2019, here's a Christian brother. He's thrown out of the same place, the same country. Why? Gospel witness. Witness for Jesus Christ. And so I thought, well, what happened? Lord, what happened? What, what progress is being made? All these years after Paul's visit to these now Turkish cities and they're still throwing Christians out. Same region of the world, same country, same gospel, same response. And it made me ask myself the question that I want to bring before you. Did, did Paul fail? Did the gospel fail? Did our brother Hans Jürgen fail? And I want you to get this. The answer is no, God forbid. Because you misunderstand the mission if you think that. These are not stories of failure. Acts 13, Acts 14, his story, this brother, they're not stories of failure. We're not compelled to gospel witness for certain responses only. 
we're compelled to faithful gospel witness for the Lord Jesus and his glory. That's it. And we leave the results in his hands. So no matter the response, may we all be awakened to the reality that our gospel, it is polarizing and it always has been. And many times there is a divided response to our gospel witness, but may that response never quench our fire for witness for Jesus. May the testimony of Paul and Barnabas and even the testimony of our brother that none of us know, at least I don't think so, this Hans Jürgen and what he's gone through be a testimony to us to be a witness for Jesus where we are, no matter what. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is the only saving gospel. It is, it is how we are saved and apart from it, there is no salvation. And Lord, we understand that there are many who oppose it. We have an enemy who opposes it. But Lord, may that not quench our fire for witness. Each person in this room. Our church, Lord, even as we continue to grow, may that never ever get in the way of what we are here to do. And that is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to stay on mission by making disciples and keeping this gospel message pure as it has been given to us. Help us, Lord, to live in 2023 and beyond as the witnesses you've called us to be, no matter the response. In Jesus' name, amen.